Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. You are listening to part two of a two-part conversation with author and literary agent, Bob Hostetler. And I was just about to ask him a question that I've been wanting to know the answer to. So we're going to jump right in and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Statistics show, and I know you're familiar, that quite a few young people leave the church um, when they go away to college. And um, Mama Bear Apologetics, I've read uh, some of that book, and I know that um, there's new research that shows it happens even before that, you know, in high school. So why do you think a lot of young people are leaving uh, the Christian faith? And is there something that the church needs to do better? Yeah, I think let me suggest two things that I think are happening. One is, I think that's a uh, an understandable, a natural, a predictable, and actually a healthy part of the maturing process. You know, as uh, as human beings grow to adulthood, our our brains are still forming. Uh, boys a little slower than girls, uh, <laughs> typically. But, uh, you know, it takes into our 20s before our our brains are actually finished developing in the various ways that that the left side relates to the right side, the occipital relates to etc. So I think it's a natural and and healthy part of the maturing process to question what's true and what's not true, Mm -hmm. right? And very often... Uh, the well, let me stick to the first reason, uh, and and so that's a good thing. Doubt is not the antithesis; it's not the the opposite of faith. Uh, faith and doubt coexist together. Uh, they're both healthy parts of a faith process of a growing and developing. Faith. So number one is I think that's natural. I think it's healthy for a young person to, to question things that maybe mom and dad aren't questioning. Maybe mom and dad have never questioned. Uh, it's okay to question um, because my bias is I happen to think that, that the Bible and God and Jesus can stand up to the hardest of questions. Um, 
that's been my experience. But the second part of that is, I think, that the the church, those of us who are supposed to be lights, as we talked about earlier, uh, often dismisses um, questions as bad, as, oh, don't, don't say that, right? That's, what are you talking about? And, and we panic when our own children say they don't believe in God or ask questions that maybe we didn't ask or maybe forgot that we asked <laughs> years ago. And, and so we, we uh, treat them as, and we don't give reasoned and um, relational answers to the questions those young people are asking. So what are they supposed to do except look elsewhere? If, mm-hmm. if the church, the pastor, the parent isn't, uh, is panicking and isn't engaging with, when, when my son went through, he went through a, a years long crisis of faith as a teenager. And I remember vividly the panic in my heart for him, for his faith walk, for he had, he had, uh, uh, made a decision to follow Christ at a young age, had been a prayer warrior as a boy, and yet all of that flew out the window in his teens. And I remember vividly my wife and I just reminding each other repeatedly over probably three years, just keep the relationship intact. Just hold on to him. Let him always know we love him no matter what. And as long as we keep the relationship intact, then the channels of communication can flow, right? And 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 they did. Mm-hmm. And God worked mightily in his life. It's been a wonder to watch. He's now, he's now not only a wonderful Christian father uh, and husband, but he's also a worship leader, he and his wife in their church in California. So, but I think part of the reason why uh, young people are, are departing from the faith, uh, deconverting as some call it, is is that they're getting answers from people uh, they're not getting answers from people who ought to be shining a light and instead they're having to turn to people who have no light to show yeah yeah i i agree and in fact that was one of my follow-up questions with you um i've talked to people on this podcast and i mean people who haven't ever doubted their faith and i'm not one of those people and i remember just a few years ago, talking to um, another a, a Christian friend, we had both been speakers at a young women's retreat, and she had been honest about her season of doubt. And I naturally am a questioner. I question things. I want to know, you know. And we were talking, and I I remember feeling guilty. Like, is it okay to be to question a lot of different things? Because the more I read in the Bible, to be honest, Bob, the more questions I have. There's a lot of Weird stuff in there. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a great apologetic for the truth of the Bible. Because yeah. if, if it didn't engender questions, if it was all just, uh, you know, uh, if it was a puff piece, as we say in the in the industry, uh, that would be harder to believe in, I think. Yeah. But the questions it raises, I'm interrupting your story. No. The questions it raises are part of the reason why I believe it. Yeah, exactly. And my husband and I, we read the Bible every morning. You know, we have this time together, which has been uh, over the last few years, very transformative in our Christian walk. And um, But yeah, there's so many times where after reading a segment of the Old Testament or something, I just am like, well, mm-hmm. Lord, what was that? 
<laughs> but I agree with what you say about, you know, coming back to the Lord in prayer and just giving it to him. There's, there's so much um, comfort in that. And also, um, I'm a big fan. Um, and, and I always uh, preface this by saying when I say I'm a fan of somebody, I just like something that they're doing. I, I don't know everything about what she's doing. But um, there's a woman named Elisa Childers. And she has a podcast. Um, and she talks about deconstruction of faith, because she kind of got caught up in some progressive Christianity things. And um, what you're saying, there are a lot of people out there who when they have these questions, um, they're wrestling with them. And when they're they're, uh, for lack of better words, coming out with these questions, instead of necessarily being met with the church with, hey, that's great that you're asking questions. And here are all these biblical, there's biblical people, like evidence of people asking questions in scripture. John the Baptist is one of my favorite examples. But uh, it, instead, it's like, oh, because I have these questions, therefore, I can't necessarily believe in traditional Christianity anymore. I need to go elsewhere and make up my own faith or whatever. And that just, it it deeply saddens me. Um, even talking recently with someone on this podcast about, you know, she's in ministry and she goes, I have wrestled with questions and I'm almost ashamed to admit it. And I'm just thinking, please, please wrestle with your questions because I, I live in this world and you do too, where people who have these public uh, ministries, all of a sudden from, from seemingly nowhere, uh, decide that they're no longer believers in Christ. And it's it's baffling to me um, because they haven't, you know, <laughs> gone to the Lord or gone to the source to figure out the answers. And if, if the gospel is true, if Christianity is truly um, the way, the truth, and the life, if Jesus is all of the things he said he was, then like you said, he can withstand our questions. You know. Absolutely. In fact, and let me get on my uh, soapbox for a minute. Please do. I think I think part of the answer to your earlier question about about kids leaving the faith or straying is that um, this is my soapbox. The way we've done Bible study over the years, I think, is part of the reason for that. Because uh, when I started studying uh, the Jewish uh, tradition of midrash, which is just Hebrew for search. You know, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you you see, search the scriptures, but you don't know the truth, right? He used, the well, probably the Aramaic equivalent to Midrash. But um, uh, when I started researching that, I realized that there's a huge difference. And I think it's been a shift, really. Maybe post-enlightenment, I don't know. I, I haven't traced it. But at least in the traditions that I was raised in and exposed to in terms of Bible studies, uh, the, the Christian Bible study has become a place where uh, we only ask questions that we know the answers to mm. because we, we want to tie everything up into a neat little bow and make sure that everybody ends the Bible study in the same spot, right? And so the there's not a high value for uh, for questions, for hard questions, for uh, departing from the script, that kind of thing. Rather than, and the tradition of Midrash, and in fact, I've been part of a Bible study the last several years that is just Midrash rather than the traditional way. It values questions. It values actually argument. <laughs> uh, on our first trip to, to Jerusalem, Years ago, my wife and I, 
there's this ancient synagogue right uh, off the Western Wall, the, what people sometimes call the Wailing Wall, the Kotel. And uh, of course, as a male, I, I was able to go into the synagogue. My wife had to wait. Mm. Uh, so I go into the synagogue, and almost immediately there to my right were, were long tables of schoolboys, Orthodox schoolboys, who were speaking loudly and some of them shouting at each other back and forth across the table. I asked about this and learned that these are uh, the partners in, in the uh, school system. They put pair people off and then their job is to ask questions or shout questions of each other about the text that they're studying and that's that's valued the more questions the better the the more argument the better right mm -hmm. whereas in christian bible study we like things at least in the western world we like things so neat and clean so uh doctrinally upright and proper that we box things in and, and uh, we don't value questions. We don't value the hard questions. We don't value disagreement when I think we should. Mm -hmm. And I think if we did, then it would be easier for all of us, not just the younger ones, but for all of us to ask the, quest the real questions that are on our minds and that some of them, yeah, they don't have satisfying answers, but we, you know, when Job uh, hit, when misfortune hit Job, his friends sat in the questions. They had lots of wrong answers for him, but they at least sat there in the questions, silence for seven days, but then question after question after question. And they just, and, and even when God finally spoke and broke through to Job, God's discourse was questions. Mm -hmm. They weren't answers, right? Yeah. And so I, I long for the church and for pastors and for parents to rediscover the power of questions, mm -hmm. of, of sitting in the question, of sharing the question. Because too often, as a, I'll put it on me, as a Christian parent, too often, I've, when one of my two children have asked me a hard question, I, I try to give them the right answer and hope they don't ask a harder one, right? I think it's more powerful to say, you know, I, I have that question too. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know the answer. It really bothers me. Do you want to figure that out together? And I think if we took more of that approach in our preaching, in our teaching, in our Bible studies, and in our parenting, I think that the, we would at least shorten, shrink the, the struggle of many honest kids and young men and women who, who see that for what it is, who see our trite, pat answers as trite, pat answers. Yeah. Well, I, I have a follow-up question to that, and it was on my list. Um, we I actually <laughs> we, we actually had a discussion about this at SoCal last year, and, and it's something I'm really passionate about. When you're talking about um, things being wrapped up in a nice bow and how we do that in Sunday school and, and church and as parents, I know I do that too with four young kids. Um, I... I guess, and this is my perspective, you can uh, push back against it if you want. 
Um, but from my perspective, I see it a lot in our movies and our books, too. Our, our stories and our Christian movies, um, they are so pretty. Um, there's, you know, no swearing, no sex, no violence, um, and but there's a great ending. It all comes together. And the world, they do a really good job of creating the exact opposite, uh, but there's no redemption. There's no eternity. There's no authenticity or love, right? The things that make uh, that we find in Christ. And so I'm just wondering, um, as someone who's very immersed in the Christian publishing world, um, do you see that shifting? Do you see some hope on the horizon? Or, or am I wrong? Because I, as a writer, as a communicator, I also, you know, someday maybe I'll send you a book proposal. Who knows? <laughs> but I, I feel passionate about that because as a young woman who grew up in the church years ago and then went through a period in my life where I wasn't sure that it was worth it to follow Jesus, I, I wanted the boyfriend who wasn't following Jesus more, you know. Um, I I long for authenticity and something that I hear this generation say over and over again is they want, they want to find something real. And obviously that's the name of this podcast, but no pun intended, that's for real. So um, what what thoughts do you have on that, Bob? Yeah, it's, it's a catch-22 because I tell people all the time, as when it comes to books, uh, books for sale, book published books, uh, this is the general market, right? That's uh, Barnes and Noble, most of the shelves in Barnes and Noble. This is the Christian market, mm, right? Much it's smaller. A, it's a much smaller uh, piece of the pie. And as a result, Christian publishers, uh, face a much bigger challenge in finding enough uh, book buyers to keep their employees employed mm-hmm. and to keep the house publishing. And the, the it, what they have learned is that a large percentage of that little piece wants those pat stories, you know, wrap it up into a nice little bowl. And it's not just in in fiction, it's also in nonfiction. They don't want to be, certainly don't want to be offended, but don't want to be stretched or challenged too much, a little bit, but not too much, right? I think that's changing, but but the reading Christian public has to change before the publishing, Mm -hmm. Christian publishing can change because nobody, it, nobody wants to publish a book that nobody wants to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Or that only a few want to buy. And so the the publishers are the lagging indicators to a large degree. We can't, we can't, I can't represent, the publisher can't publish a book that uh, as soon as it's opened by a Christian reader who, who goes to a very conservative church who's, who's, uh, um, who reads Christian books because those others are much too gritty, right? They know what they want and what they expect. So we can't, we can't alienate that reader. That, that uh, little pond to fish in needs to expand. And I think it is. I think there are more and more Christians, Christian readers who are 
looking for something real, looking for that authenticity. Um, and, and that can be achieved without the language, without the sex scenes, uh, that sort of thing. But there's a, it's, it's really two categories. It's, you know, you, you, it, it doesn't have to have offensive material in order to be authentic. Right. And so, uh, but a, a lot of people confuse those things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all of us, agents and, and publishers alike, are looking for the authenticity in a uh, in a format, in a way of presentation that will challenge and take the reader to a place they've not been before, but in a way that won't make them close the book and throw it across the room, yeah. right? And so it's 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 a juggling act, it's a balancing act, and as I say, I think it's changing, but it's a very slow change because the whole American church, and it's the American church that drives the bulk of Christian publishing today. Um, and so as the, the American evangelical church and even broader than that, um, our, our Orthodox um, brothers and sisters, as, that, as those folks change and their expectations begin to shift, I think we'll see a change, but it's slow. It's a, as Bob Dylan's saying, it's a slow train coming. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I mean, I don't, Uh, advocate, you know, what you're saying, offensive material just for the sake of offensive material. But I really, I I would hope that it is changing, that people do want um, to not have that pretty bow always at the end, because life isn't like that, you know. Um, So thank you for sharing on that. I guess a couple final questions. Do you have any practical resources or even scripture verses um, anything that has encouraged you over the last few months, um, just finding joy or um, just, you know, p- pressing into questions. I know you have some books and uh, you're welcome to plug them right now if you'd like, but just anything, anything yeah. that could help someone. Well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll plug a couple of my books because um, they're kind of along those lines. In terms of the questions, of course, you know, I, with Josh McDowell, I've written a number of books in the apologetic area, Don't Check Your Brains at the Door, and so on. But uh, uh, some of my favorite recent work has been, um, did a book uh, called Life Stinks and Then You Die. <laughs> and it's it's based on the Bible book of Ecclesiastes. Because if you want to talk about hard questions, Ecclesiastes asks the hard questions and does so. I think, I think even, you know, thousands of years ago when it was written, I think it was meant to be a funny book, not mm-hmm. just a, uh, an informative or wisdom book. And so my book, Life Stinks and Then You Die, as well as another book I wrote kind of based on the, the prophecy of Hosea called Falling in Love with God. Cause I think that's to a large degree, that's the answer. That's what I find encouragement from. I, I talk and write a lot about prayer because God is my salvation. My salvation flows to me and from me in prayer. You know, if, if, if I don't pray, I don't access all the benefits of, of that relationship. And so to me, that's everything. So let me mention another resource that is a constant, several that are, uh, I keep a journal, uh, even through, it, it, 
I, it was bef long before the pandemic, but I have a, a gratitude journal. So every night I go into my journal as part of my prayer time. And I just list three quick bullet points, three things I'm grateful for today. Just boom, 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 real quick. Sometimes it goes on longer than that. But every night I focus, before I lay my head down on my pillow, I focus on what I have to be thankful for. You know, mm -hmm. and there's so much that... Uh, sometimes there's four things, sometimes there's five things, but I try to discipline myself because I can't go on and on about it. But that's one of the things even that's really proven helpful through the pandemic uh, is, you know, life has been very samey, samey for me and my wife the last few months, but so much to be thankful for, even in this time. And, um, and then another thing, uh, a resource, these books behind me when i my wife and i moved from ohio to las vegas a year ago i had to condense a library of three thousand books into not many more than what you see behind me a few hundred right <laughs> most of what i kept are the classics you know the pretty bindings and those kind of things the valuable ones because i can get a lot on kindle that aren't isn't on that bookshelf but one of the more recent books, actually three of the more recent books that I couldn't give away are Phyllis Tickle's The Divine Hours collection. She did three books. Uh, one is uh, for the four seasons. One is prayers for summertime. One is prayers for springtime. And the other is prayers for fall and winter, I think is how it goes, autumn and winter. Anyway, um, and what she did is she kind of took the the uh, practice of um, set our prayer uh, ordered prayer at certain hours of the day morning after uh, noon and evening prayers and made it easy easier than the book of common prayer to access and to use on a daily basis well that um, among other things that those three books have been a constant source of, of blessing to me um, I tend, this is my habit, I tend to pray uh, more freeform in the mornings and more liturgically in the evenings, right? So I follow Phyllis Tickles. I even, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago, uh, she, would, she and I were at the same conference. And so I went to her session and took, uh, I had my uh, That Season's volume with me. And I handed it to her, asked her to sign it. And I, as she's opening it, I said to her, you know, you and the brothers at the Abbey of Gethsemane, where I go on prayer retreat every year in Kentucky, um, have, I don't think anybody's been more influential in my prayer life than you and the brothers at the Abbey of Gethsemane. And she said, well, I'm in very good company then. Because mm -hmm. I, I knew she knew from her uh, books that she knew the Abbey. So anyway, so she signed it very kindly. But the, those three books, if you've not tried um, uh, set our prayer, maybe just try, you know, either the morning or the evening. Compline prayers are beautiful. Anyway, uh, but that's a resource that's been a lifeline to me as well. What do you mean by liturgical prayer? What does that mean for somebody okay. listening? So uh, thanks for Thanks for that. So uh, let me contrast kind of non-liturgical and liturgical prayer, because I do both. I do uh, just, that's my 
routine. So in the morning, I just kind of sit here at my desk and I, I pray, Lord, thank you for today. This, uh, it's sunny outside. It's going to be a beautiful day. I'm, I'm very happy to be your son, your child. And I'm, and I'm just talking, just conversationally. In the evenings, uh, sometimes with the help of the divine hours or other resources, uh, like Robert Benson's, uh, Verite, um, another book, um, I pray more liturgically. And that means, for example, I might begin as they do it at the Abbey of Gethsemane. I may begin by saying, Lord, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. Praise be to the father and the son and the Holy spirit who was and is and is to come. Almighty God, my Father, I confess that I have sinned against you through my own fault and thought, word, and deed in what I have done and in what I have left undone. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive these and all my offenses and grant that I may serve you in newness of life. So that's that's not my own composition in the moment. You know, it's it's a prayer that I remember because I've prayed it so many times out of a book, out of a liturgy, liturgy basically just means program of worship. Um, and yet that, that forms a, a, uh, an itinerary for, for my prayers that has over and over again, no matter where I am, I can call those prayers to mind. And, uh, and I also, I pray the Psalms, uh, the mm -hmm. brothers at Gethsemane taught me how to chant the Psalms. Um, so uh, that's what I mean when I say a more liturgical form. Of, it's a format. It's some would call them rote prayers, but they're to me they're meaningful because I I pray them knowing what they mean, and they give voice very often. Like when I was depressed and was flat on my face for a half hour at a time, that that prayer that I prayed it's from the Psalms, but it was a prayer that I knew from. A liturgy, you know, and so I just knew to pray, my help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, over and over again. It became a part of my vocabulary because of the liturgy that I could call upon in time of need. Yeah. And so, and that's what I think of familiarity with liturgy, with the Psalms especially, can do for us. You know, there are many, many times I don't know what to pray but I can pray this psalm and lo and behold, it becomes the prayer of my heart mm. in that moment, you know? So yeah. I do both. Uh, some it, In some periods, I will pray from the divine hours, morning, noon, and night, and sometimes just the liturgy at night and more freestyle in the morning. Uh, just, I guess it depends on my, quirks and my moods and, mm. and, and the, the need I sense in my own heart. I love that. I, um, it's interesting, the podcast that's going to air before this, um, or that did air before this, <laughs> is uh, I had a conversation with a young woman and she was talking about talking to God throughout the day. And mm -hmm. it was so precious because she's just like, I'm just um, experiencing that, that time with him, that closeness throughout the day, just an intimacy with him. And I just finished reading John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have you read I'm it? Re I'm reading it right now. I'm it is through. so good. It's so, so good. good. So good. 
<laughs> I've been telling everybody about it. And he talks in there about taking that Sabbath rest. And then on top of that, um, he talks about going away for a sabbatical, like having that whole time away. So um, I was going to ask you just one more question, but now I have to ask. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, the brothers of the Abbey of Gethsemane, whatever it was, Gethsemane? And um, and also, is that open to other people? Because it sounds like a, a man thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's it's Okay. It's been such an important part of my my prayer journey. And here's, I'll tell you a quick story. So, uh, how old is my son? He's 37. So this would have been about 20 years ago, 20, 23 years ago, maybe. Um, I, uh, my wife and I were so concerned for my son that I decided I'm going to go away for a full weekend and do nothing but pray for him. I'm not going to take any books. I'm just going to pray all weekend for him. Well, I went to a retreat center near home that, uh, and, and I did that, but you know, that was, that was a good enough experience that I thought I want, but that, that, uh, retreat center wasn't for me. So I come, and I think around that time I was reading probably the cloister walk by Kathleen Norris, uh, that talks about the Abbey of Gethsemane, South of Bardstown, Kentucky. Well, I know that area of Kentucky, I'm a Cincinnati boy. And, uh, in fact, honeymoon there with my wife in that area. So I made a reservation at the Abbey of Gethsemane and read up a little bit on how they do what they do. It's a Benedictine Trappist monastery, and it's open to both men and women. They actually, unless they've changed, right now they're not having any guest retreats, but they actually have a full guest house. It's like a, a modest hotel room where some weeks it's only women, some weeks it's both men and women. Um, but uh, so I made a reservation and I decided, you know, uh, I, and you can make a, a, they take reservations Monday to Friday, you know, check in Monday, check out Friday or Friday to Monday. Right. And so the first time I went 23 or so years ago, um, I decided, uh, having read up on it, I, I'm going to see what this opus day, this divine work is about. And, um, and, Every time the monks go to prayer for the first 24 hours, I'm going to go to prayer too. So they gather in either 15 or one half hour increments services uh, for um, vigils at 3 a.m. or 3.15 a.m., uh, pre-me or uh, uh, forget what they call it, lauds maybe, uh, terse uh, at, at 9, 6 a.m., uh, Terse at 9 a.m., None at uh, noon, no, sorry, Sext at noon, None at 2, 15, 2, 30, Vespers at 5, 30 or thereabouts, and then Compline at 8 o'clock in the evening. And then it's bedtime. You're supposed to go to bed, right, at 8, at 8 30? Really? <laughs> anyway, so, so I decided I'd do this. So I, I went and I got there just in time for six at noon, S-E-X-T, put the T on the end. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I got there just in time for that and, and went to prayer and it's chanted prayers. It's chanting the Psalms, praying. It opens with, 
O Lord, come to my assistance. O Lord, make haste to help me, right? And if you flow through the various liturgical, very liturgical. And then after that 15 minutes of prayer, go down uh, kind of a back stairway, go through the line for lunch, you know, get the tray and everything. Oh, key to this is it's a silent monastery. Mm. So no, no talking except in worship. Uh, and in the lobby when you check in. So I went down the steps in silence, went, got my tray, went through the line in silence, sat at the table and ate lunch in silence, and then did that for the other times of prayer, none and, and vespers and compline, and even got up at three for vigils and so on and so forth. And it wasn't until 24 hours later at sex, I went to, to my eighth time of prayer with the monks in the chapel, and afterwards, went down in silence, went down that back stairway, went through the line, got my food, sat down, and I went to do this, say grace. And I realized I was already praying. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd been praying all morning. I just didn't, I'd been carrying on this, that's what the silence did for me. I'd been carrying on this internal conversation with God he was the only one there to talk to. And so we were talking. It wasn't liturgical except in the hours of prayer, but we were in conversation. And that, and, and I, I don't have to start praying. I'm already praying. So bless this food. Thanks. Mm. This is great. That then, that lasted then through the rest of the retreat. And I realized that there was something about that rhythm, what, what John Mark Comer writes about, something about that rhythm of, of all, and, and the goal, at least the Benedictine order, is, is to so structure life that you're always going to or coming from prayer. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're never outside of the conversation, right? It's, I came home from that retreat so transformed that I thought I, I have to find a way to do this all the time, you know, in, in my work week, in my day. And so for, for a long time, maybe most of a year or so, I, that's, I used the divine hours, I think, to, I would pray in the morning and at noon and at night as just keep this going. Now I, I'm, always pray morning and night, only sometimes at noon. But as your previous guest said, it's a, a constant conversation that I try to cultivate. It, it doesn't happen by accident, but it, I've, I've learned enough about the rhythms of my life to know what it takes to keep me in the conversation with God. Mm-hmm. And the monks at the Abbey of Gethsemane taught me that by example. So it's become a very special place to me. I try to go there every year, um, sometimes twice a year. I've taken my son, I've taken uh, leaders in our church, I've uh, taken many guests with me. Uh, Robin has gone with me half a dozen times. And so, uh, yeah, it's a very special place just south of Bardstown, Kentucky, east of Elizabethtown, if that helps anyone. And This is my favorite part. Their website is monks.org. 
Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, my husband and I are going to reread that book by John Mark Comer because, uh, very transformative. I read crazy love, uh, you know, like seven years ago and it changed my life just reading that and, uh, by Francis Chan. And then I haven't read another book since then that I felt like, wow, this is like life changing, uh, almost. And it, it makes you hungry for that pace. In fact, we started incorporating, uh, we've been trying to incorporate Sabbath and really, uh, just taking that time. And it's amazing. Um, just by being obedient to God's word, what you mm-hmm. find in that. And, uh, we've been and really encouraged. A, a big part of it. And, you know, my rhythms aren't your rhythms, but you know, there is, if you, if you have eyes to see, there is in the Bible, a, a, a plenty of hints, not only about a weekly Sabbath, but also about periodic retreats, you know, multi-day festivals, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, we've got uh, the, the weekly Sabbath, and then I do an annual or sometimes twice a year prayer retreat of four or five days. So it's, you know, it, I, I found that for me, a weekly Sabbath, a roughly quarterly weekend of prayer and reading and then that annual retreat that those things are indispensable to me and previous generations of of followers of jesus kind of did something like that because they had you know the the revival every year they went to camp meeting every so often and to keep the fire burning so to speak and uh and so uh we've lost that in all our busyness these days yeah and now we're being forced to slow down, and maybe it's not such a horrible thing. I mean, there's a silver lining. Right. Um, one final question. It's a question I ask all my guests. And the Finding Something Real podcast, Bob, it's about a journey towards finding restoration and redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are all gifts that we can find in relationship with Christ. And I truly believe that only Christ offers those things, restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of them stand out to you the most right now in your life and why? Well, that's a tall order. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an easy answer. But for me, I think it's, it's authentic. It's real. And that is <laughs> I mean, it's all love, you know. We live in such contentious times and uh, uh, times when it, it can be hard, whether you're a follower of Christ or an agnostic or an atheist or what, whatever you might be, it can be hard to sort. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to believe? And Right? And I think it's pretty simple. I think Jesus gave it to us and it's, it's love. I've got one job and that's love, to love God and love others. Yeah. It's, it's for me that that, it may seem like an oversimplification, but I don't think it is. I think it's a focus that clarifies a lot of things. I don't have to have a position on every issue. I don't have to, uh, to have thought through every opinion, every conflict, every, I don't have to know it all. I, I just have to love every turn, every person. My job is to love. And, and for me, that boils it all down, makes it all a pretty straight shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bob Hostetler, 
Thank you. Thank you for taking this time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I, I sure like you. You're just a great guy. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> so until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast, and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, And a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.